excitement over the last 15, 20 years in the microbiology space has just been really exciting because things that I think cultures and civilizations for decades, um, even centuries have understood kind of inherently, we're finally understanding why is fasting passed down generation to generation? Um, why are some of these regenerative farming techniques were used for thousands of years and only in the last hundred years have we really dramatically modified those? And really starting to understand the effects of that at a cellular and even a genetic level. Um, so yeah, I think mm -hmm. it's very exciting. <laughs> Hi everyone, welcome to the Eat Real to Heal podcast. I am your host, Nicolette Richet. And on today's podcast, we have a really wonderful, smart, intelligent, um, super creative, amazing woman who is changing the world. And that is Jennifer Maynard. She is with Nutrition for Longevity and also has her nonprofit called United for Longevity. And she is doing something like no other. So I know a lot of you have seen, and if you haven't seen, you need to watch it, but have already seen The Biggest Little Farm. And Jennifer is literally living out that life that she created for herself when she decided to leave the biotech and pharmaceutical world where she had been working for over 20 years. In And then she switched over and said, you know what? I'm going to buy a farm and I'm going to actually make clean, real, healthy, pesticide-free, toxic-free food for U.S. citizens. So she set up this company where she grows her own food on her farm. I mean, it's 40 acres, so she's not doing it on her own, but she is growing food and then she is converting it into delicious whole food, plant-based, predominantly plant-based meals, and all in service of increasing the longevity and health of U.S. citizens. Now, I really wish she was established in Canada. I'd be ordering from her hands down, even with the fact that I have our own collection of plant-based whole food, vegan restaurants. I mean, I would still order from her because of the fact that we all know that creating clean, real food that is sourced from good, healthy farms, it takes effort, it takes work. It's definitely easy once you have your systems in place and the knife chopping skills in place and you, you, know, you enjoy being in the kitchen, but we all know the reality is that we are in such a fast-paced um, society now, maybe not during COVID while we're on the lockdown, but we do lead these very fast paced lifestyles where we do need to eat out. And that's exactly what Nutrition for Longevity provides to people is the ability to eat real, clean, amazing food that is healthy and promotes longevity. So Jennifer had left the biotech and pharmaceutical space. So she has all of this knowledge from her career plus her education being a molecular biologist and also being a biochemist and then taking that knowledge and moving that knowledge onto the farm where she then combined everything she knew about the microbiome of the soil and the plants and our own digestive system and our overall overall health and then was able to take that to grow the best of the best food and then, of course, she took it one step further 
where she partnered with the longevity diet guru, Dr. Walter Longo, who's running several clinical trials, doing extensive research all about what promotes longevity. And you're going to hear about that on this show. So it's a very, very special show. Jennifer is this incredible woman, a mother with her own children and doing this work. And really, she is a model for what we can all strive towards. Because if we can all take small actions, um, similar to the big actions that Jennifer is taking, we would collectively be able to shift everything that is happening on the planet. And you're going to learn all about that in this podcast. Now, before we begin, I just want to take a moment to let everybody know that because of everything that's happened with COVID, we had to shut down our restaurants. We had to lay off all of our staff. We shut down all of our health operations as well, just because we didn't know what was going to happen. And so much of the work that I do, which involves speaking and traveling to speak, and then also working with corporations to teach employees of 50 or more people. Yes, I do work with companies with 25 people and more. Um, we can always make exceptions. But with all of the travel that was involved, we couldn't you know, be out there um, educating the way we wanted. So we've had to stop all of our operations and now we've pivoted. So we're actually going to be opening up the Green Mustache as a zero waste grocery store. We're going to be opening up our locations with takeout and food delivery, as well as being able to pre-order meals for your entire family. So actually a little bit similar to what Jennifer is doing. So our Whistler location will be opening up first on the 15th of May, and then our other locations will be opening up um, shortly after that, the beginning of June. Now, our New York locations, which were supposed to open this year, um, are most likely delayed because of how hard New York has been hit and because of COVID really just impacting everybody everywhere. Um, but, you know, we hope to get that location up and running as well. Um, in the in hopefully in the new year, so uh, another thing that we've done to pivot our operations is I've gone back to consulting. So I've been doing one-on-one -on -one consulting again, which is how I started off in this um, beautiful space of teaching people how to reverse their chronic degenerative diseases. So if you are someone who is you know currently battling a chronic condition, it could be cancer, autoimmune disorder, infertility, type 2 diabetes, type 1 diabetes, um, you know, uh, heart disease especially, um, I, I mean, I work with people who have all different types of um, chronic degenerative diseases, even the rare ones. And what we do is we are results oriented. So we work closely together to go through your entire health history and to really figure out what is happening um, with your health most times, and which is the basis of what I teach Diet has everything to do with your chronic degenerative diseases, as it does for 90% of the people on the planet. Really, only about 3 to 5% of diseases are genetic. So if yours is not 100% genetic, which I work with you to try and figure that out as well, if we need to, if we don't get results through changing the diet and lifestyle, well, then usually what we can do is work with your medical team to understand if there truly is an underlying genetic condition. But let me tell you this, in the over a decade, I've been doing this for 12, 13 years, working with clients, 
we have only ever seen a true genetic link in a very tiny handful, like less than five of my clients. And one day I'll take the time to tell you their stories because they're really great stories of overcoming their genetic condition with the help of their medical team and their lifestyle changes, something that they were not able to do with just their medical team alone. But I mean, the other stories, the thousands of other stories that I have are all around people who had chronic degenerative diseases. They thought they, sorry, chronic degenerative diseases. They thought they were genetic when in fact they weren't. And so we help you understand why your body is designed to heal and how to actually trigger regeneration and self-healing in your body so that you can overcome your pain and your fatigue and your illness and get off the medications. And if you have an upcoming surgery scheduled to be able to work with your medical team to get you the results so you don't have to go through with the surgery because your body was able to heal the condition on its own. So that's the work that we're doing. Also, I'm going to be launching a series of um, live events with different partners all throughout the world. So we'll be partnering with individuals who are doing very similar work to what I'm doing, but we just take it a step further. So instead of just teaching you how to eat clean, real, whole foods, I teach you how to eat foods to reverse your chronic diseases and get results and and quickly, not getting results in two years or one year, but we want to see you get those results immediately because your body has the ability to turn off diseases like all the ones I just mentioned and to actually regenerate and heal and reactivate all of those self-healing mechanisms that you were born with. So go to our website, nicoletteriche.com and sign up for a health consult with me. We spend three hours together at a minimum. If you need more, I usually give you more, but we spend three hours together where I teach you everything you need to know, the art and the science of healing, the art and science of actually changing your lifestyle and what that's going to look like. We cover the psychological, emotional, spiritual, physical, mental aspects of making these changes as well. I really handhold you through the process so that you're able to go off into the world, make the changes, get the results. So give us a call. If you have somebody that you um, have a loved one in your family that also is battling a chronic illness, let me tell you this. One thing that's very unique about what I do is when I have a session with you or your loved one, I invite the whole family into the session as well because we need to get everybody on board with the lifestyle changes that the person with the chronic disease is going to be making. And this is because we don't want a, you know, a family member being saying things like, well, you can't just eat vegetables because there's no protein. Well, I explain the signs of why you can. Or, you know, you need lots of salt. Well, I make sure your whole entire family knows exactly what kind of salt is beneficial to the body and what kind of salt is not beneficial to the body and so on. So we debunk all the myths together so that you have 100% support coming from your family um, and that you have that support that you need. So book a session with me and we can get started on turning your health around today. Also share this podcast with other people. So excited to have Jennifer Maynard on our podcast from Nutrition for Longevity and United for Longevity. And like I said, share this podcast with everyone you know. Thanks for being here. See you at the end of the show.
Hi, everyone. Welcome to the Eat Realty Heal podcast. I am your host, Nicolette Richet, and it is such a pleasure today to have Jennifer Maynard on our show. Welcome, Jennifer, to the Eat Realty Heal podcast. Welcome. Thank you for having me. So Jennifer, I'm really glad that um, we were connected and it was exciting to dive into all the different things that you are doing um, with regards to food and food as health and food as medicine. And so you have a background in microbiology, biochemistry, and supply chain management. And so tell me how, what was life like when you were making the decisions to go into that field? Like what were you imagining for yourself in the world um, when you decided to study um, microbiology and biochem? So I actually went into the field, um, I, when I was younger, I lost my uncle to AIDS and he struggled immensely. It was in the eighties before there was really any standard of care. And I wanted to, um, do something in the health field to try to help people with not just, um, acute illness, but chronic illness and to find solutions for that. And it launched me kind of into the healthcare field. I worked in that area for 20 years. I was really fascinated with things at a microbial level, so the the human microbiome, um, also your metabolism, how your cells actually work and what drives them. Um, And I just, that's always been a huge passion of mine, whether it's on the nutrition side of things, whether it's part of the soil microbiome, the gut microbiome. But the first place I landed was in healthcare. I actually worked in um, pharmaceuticals for a good share of my career in the specialty medicines area. And that was in oncology, ophthalmology, um, hematology. So I started actually with hemophiliacs. Um, And, you know, I feel like what drove me into that industry is to try to, again, bring human health forward. And I think in some of the acute illnesses that there's been some great progress, like in the area of hemophilia, I think there's been great progress. Um, in certain areas of cancer, I think there's been great progress. But after 20 years, I really looked at where I felt the overall industry was and where our healthcare system was. And I thought, you know, we spend the most in healthcare of any country in the world, and we're only the 34th healthiest. And so something seems off there. And I just became pretty, um, I would say, almost obsessed with how can we take it to the next level? What are we missing here? And it seems like I've always lived a very holistic life myself. I've always grown most of my own food and felt really passionate about that. And I felt like the answer was right in front of me. And at a point, I just, I couldn't ignore it. Like it was, it was so pivotal in front of me. And I had some very close family members diagnosed with type two diabetes. And I, I watched their health just deteriorate right in front of my eyes in a very short amount of time. And I think that was the biggest, um, I guess, decision or or point in my life that I decided I need to make a change. I don't want to now be in a place that's treating illnesses that are already here. I want to move more to the front edge where we can start preventing things. We can start reversing it early on. And I... I kind of intervened with some of these individuals with just food and just got them on an active lifestyle and basically a longevity lifestyle of how you eat healthier and how do you stop accelerating this aging process and start reversing it. And I left my career in healthcare. I was um, actually an executive at the time living in Switzerland. 
I completely left that career behind and started a farm. So my husband and I started Greater Greens, our regenerative farm. And we just decided we wanted to solely fo focus on food as medicine and how can we grow healthy food and impact um, our food system, which I think also has a lot of challenges with it and is a bit broken. And then how do we use that to impact our health system, um, which I think we're missing so much of what we can do preventatively or using food as an intervention or a way to treat. You know, we're, we're so much focusing on the pill as the solution and not on how can we nourish our body in a different way. Um, so it was, it was, you know, a very different um, career path that I took than, than most people would probably assume. Um, but I think it did help me get where I am because organic farming or regenerative farming is a challenging area. Um, and I think if I didn't have the business experience and I hadn't gone down the path I did, I wouldn't be able to, I, I wouldn't have been able to bring this company to where it is now. And you, you need to understand still compliance and food safety and things that um, I needed a strong foundation for. So I'm grateful for my background. I'm grateful that I was able to impact a lot of people's lives in, um, you know, specialty medicines area and acute illness. But now I really want to dedicate the rest of my life to prevention and preventing chronic illness and even helping people with the intervention side of that. I mean, that's um, an amazing story. And we're hearing these stories more and more for sure. And what we do know is it's interesting because there's often that um, back and forth between either um, individuals who grew up on farms like T. Colin Campbell and, you know, a lot of the you know, very well-known plant-based medical doctors who, you know, grew up on farms. Some might say, well, everybody grew up on farms back then. You know, if you are, you know, perhaps born at the same time as Dr. Colin Campbell, but but it's true that there's this, you know, back and forth as people understand how the world works. But I also think it takes somebody who has that systems perspective, somebody who has that ability to look at the world and see how it's all interconnected. And so I want to go back though, because at the time before you made the decision to buy the farm, and I mean, right now, everybody's talking about the biggest little farm, the documentary yeah. that everybody needs to watch and which is so amazing. But I want to go back to when you were actually working as a microbiologist and you were understanding the microbiome because you've been in this field for 20 plus years. Right. Yeah. So, so I remember giving a presentation on the microbiome in relation to soil, not understanding it in relation to our own guts at that time, but it, this was about 24 years ago. And I know people looked at me like I was crazy. So what was that like for you to be in the field and talking about this little tiny thing called the microbiome? So I think it's, um, I mean, I definitely think we've made strides, leaps and bounds over the last even just five years. So I think when I started, um, you know, a lot of the focus was just on what's going on with our own human cells. And so there was so much emphasis on our metabolism at a cellular level. And there wasn't much discussion on the soil microbiome and what was going on. And still to this day, uh, you know, I tell people we know about our big toe worth of knowledge, um, you know, of what we yeah. know of the human body of the soil microbiome. Um, so I think it was fascinating. I've always been 
completely fascinated with like um, it's it's only now kind of a term but the holobiome and how everything fits together and it always really fascinated me that you know it, and there's always debate so I don't like to can quote. you yeah, so jump ahead. back to that and then also I'm going to pick up on I don't like to quote um, but explain what the holobiome is because okay. for a lot of people I just taught a whole group of healthcare workers in New York and they didn't know anything about the microbiome so okay. they definitely not know about the holobiome Okay, so holobiome is a really fascinating concept, and it's it exists for plants, it exists for humans, pretty much every living entity, um, and it's it's the collective DNA RNA of not just like say me as a human, not just my own human cells, but all of the other cells that make up who I am, and that means your bacteria, your viruses, protozoa. I mean, it's every organism that. Um, is making up our body. And more than 50% of our bodies are not our own human cells. Um, and that's what I don't usually quote because there's such a wide um, debate on it's 20 times our own human cells, but we know at least it's more than 50%. So if more than 50% of us, you know, you might say it's foreign or um, it's, you know, alien. I've, I've heard people call it so many different things but it's not our own human cells, but it is part of a system. And it's part of a system that is really important we start to understand. And the holobiome is looking at that whole system and how it works. Everything from our air microbiome, which a lot of people have never heard, because there's multiple microbiomes within our body and also within the plant world. Um, and literally even our air microbiome is impacting the way we interact with other human beings or other creatures and even how we select our food. Um, so it's, I really think it's important that people start looking at things in that more holistic view, even our own human health and even medicine. How is it affecting not just my human cells, because we do a lot of testing um, and research on the human cells, but what is it doing to, say, my gut microbiome and um, the microbiome on my skin that's actually a protective layer for my body. Um, so again, the holobiome is looking at that holistically. And from a a plant standpoint and from a farming standpoint, we also look at the holobiome. Um, there's five different microbiomes for a plant. We focus up very much on the rhizosphere microbiome, which is where the roots are and where most of the activity happens for a plant. Um, it's kind of considered the gut microbiome of a plant. Um, so we, yeah, that's, that's for me probably one of the most fascinating things is really starting to understand how deep those interconnections are. And I think just in the last five years, um, we're really understanding that these things are not just happening at this cellular level, but all the way down to how we express our genes. And that I think is mind blowing for a lot of people that, wow, there's bacteria actually impacting the way I express my genes <laughs> and expressing the way a plant or, or changing the way a plant expresses their genes. And, you know, to, even explain um, what that means is for a plant, if they're under stress, they can use their microbiome around them to actually cope with that stress. So say they're under a drought condition, they can work with their um, rhizosphere microbiome to actually respond to that, whether it's sending out deeper lat lateral roots, finer root fibers so they can absorb more water. Um, and even communicating with other plants that are interconnected through that rhizosphere microbiome. And then the, for the human body, it, it's even affecting cellular regeneration. 
And that's where, you know, um, when I started this company, I got involved with um, the longevity diet and Dr. Walter Longo and his research on cellular regeneration. Um, and that is just a whole nother level of incredible um, research on the metabolism of the human body and how all these things also come together. So yeah, I think um, the excitement over the last 15, 20 years in the microbiology space has just been really exciting because things that I think cultures and civilizations for decades, um, even centuries have understood kind of inherently, we're finally understanding why is fasting passed down generation to generation? Um, why are some of these regenerative farming techniques were used for thousands of years and only in the last hundred years have we really dramatically modified those? And really starting to understand the effects of that at a cellular and even a genetic level. Um, so yeah, I think it's very exciting. <laughs> no, that's really exciting. Um, you just, you remind me of the Lakota prayer that um, the indigenous communities in Lakota community in the United States um, use and basically they give gratitude to the air they give gratitude to the water they give gratitude to the soil and the rocks and the literally everything as though it's a living thing even if it's a sentient or non-sentient being it gets the same level of respect and care and nurturing because of the fact that it's all interconnected and intertwined and we are all one with that and we could not live on this planet without that connection to our you know, hollow biome, our microbiome, our external biome. And this is the part that excites me the most to be living in a time where we are, it's becoming, I wouldn't say it's mainstream yet, because I know that there's still a lot of scientists, physicians who t completely disregard it, despite probiotics and prebiotics and everything being on the market, it's still, you know, considered maybe alternative medicine. Whereas, I mean, this is our life that we're talking about, our existence that we're talking about. And so, yeah, it's a very exciting time. Now, do you remember when you were about to say, I don't want to quote, or I'm going to quote? Don't worry. Well, I was going to say, I, I don't typically like to quote how many cells are in our body that are our own human cells and how many are not, because there's just right. such a wide range of debate there. And to me, it doesn't matter if it's 20 times or two times. Um, it, it The fact that more than 50% are not our own cells, and we we very infrequently think about that. So um, we think about, I don't feel good, or um, I'm going to eat this because I want this right now. And we don't always think about, well, what does that mean to the rest of these cells in our body, especially our gut microbiome, which we're now finding out, you know, 80% of our immune system is essentially lining our gut. Um, so a lot of leaky gut and autoimmune disease, a lot of those are directly affected by our gut microbiome and how healthy it is and how it protects our gut. And obviously a major input of that is our food and, and even fasting. And, and so really understanding not just what you put in your body, but when you put it into your body has a significant effect on your own cells and the cells that are essentially um, in a symbiotic relationship with us. So we work for them and they work for us and together we're this um, incredible system that is extremely complex far more complex than i think we ever realized um, and we're just starting to scratch the surface on understanding the gut microbiome and what all it contributes to us and then the soil microbiome which i believe is directly related to then the plants that we grow and feeding that um, human microbiome so I think there's this incredible interrelationship between the two and we're just starting to really understand that. 
Yeah. And I love that you brought that up about how complex it is because it really, really is complex. But then there's the element of actually how simple it can be so that if you're an average citizen listening to this, who's thinking like, oh my God, this is way over my head. (laughs) And I, you know, don't understand like, you know, what are you talking about? My microbiome influences my genes, you know, so it's not just, you know, thinking that your grandparents and your parents influenced your genes. It's actually literally your entire environment. And, and so, but it is also so simple too, right? Like if we go back to how we take care of a plant, like we have to give it light, we have to give it water, we need to give it fresh air and we can't give it foods that don't resonate with that plant. Otherwise you're going to kill it. And the same thing with our body. And that's the part that, I mean, I'd love to chat. I'd love you to just, you know, riff on that a little bit because of the fact that um, as complex as it is and complex meaning in the world of biochemistry and microbiology, right? Like, I mean, where you're trying to really understand probably even more like some of the well, definitely the chronic illnesses, but also the acute illnesses and how that all responds, you know, it gets complex in the lab when you're looking under a microscope, but for the average citizen, it doesn't have to be that complex. Yeah, absolutely. A really good point because when I say complex, I mean, I think in school I had to memorize, I don't know, some 200 metabolic pathways and this and that. And so it can get very complicated. And if you really want to start to dive in and understand how a soil affects a plant and how a plant affects a human, you know, from a science standpoint, there's just an incredible amount of complexity. And even from a farming standpoint, how to achieve that balance is is really critical in understanding it. But I think for your average person, I mean, there's a few key things I think your average person needs to understand, which is, you know, chronic illness, I think we felt for the longest time was mainly based on my genetics that I was passed down, we're realizing now more than 80% you can directly impact by your lifestyle. That means, you know, living an active lifestyle and exercising, and it doesn't have to be this super intense exercise, but just getting your body moving. And it means eating healthy. And, and I bring up the feeding and the fasting piece, because also I'd love to talk a little bit about fasting because it scares a lot of people. And and really there's some very simple ways to do that as well. It also doesn't have to be complex. But then the feeding side is as simple as really finding that right balance. You know, I there's two things that we focus on with the longevity diet that are just kind of inherently or they've just become mainstream in our diet in the US and that's sugar. We know now scientifically that sugar activates pre-aging genes or, or accelerates our aging genes. Um, and so that's part of that effect that it has at a genetic level. So all anyone really needs to understand is sugar activates your aging. Um, so, so, and- so hold on one second there. Cause I like to often get clarity for people okay. because I work with a lot of clients who have chronic disease. And the minute I say anything about salt, sugar, um, <laughs> you know, fat, then people are like, what? And, um, you know, they're like, I can't have an apple anymore. So let's just yeah. talk about sugar. What do you mean when you say sugar? So this is an overabundance of sugar. And this is a lot of the added sugar that has become mainstream in our diet. So um, it doesn't mean you can't have sugar, um, especially natural sugars. Your body, it, your body does need some of these things. So don't stop eating fruit. I've had people say, you know, kids shouldn't eat this much fruit. I've never limited fruit for my children. I've never seen that they've had any health issues from eating too many strawberries or blueberries. 
Um, so I, I actually encourage them to eat this wide variety of fruits and vegetables, and I do myself as well. I think it's more the added sugar, because in the US, the average person consumes 50 grams more sugar a day than they should be, even by the recommended levels, which, you know, added sugar, you really don't need any added sugar, but there is even a standard. And so if we're eating 50 grams more, that's some almost 60 pounds of added sugar per year per person in the US. So that's a lot of sugar. And that's what I mean by um, we know we're accelerating our aging genes by adding soda and all these different things into our diet that are empty calories. They're not adding a lot of nutrition for us. And um, they're really at a much higher level than we should be consuming. So that's when I talk about sugar, what I mean is that overage. And I actually try like every, probably once a quarter, I try to just do a sugar detox for myself. Mm-hmm. And I, it's just incredible to realize how many sauces and salad dressings and all these additional things that we put on our food have so much added sugar that you just don't even think about. So it's just, ubiquitous in our environment. And so it's just important to be aware of it. Um, It doesn't mean you can't splurge. Like I've had people say, I can't have any cake anymore. And I was like, look, I occasionally have a really nice decadent piece of chocolate cake because I love it. Um, But I'm aware of it. And and then I say, okay, I'm probably then not going to also have a glass of wine. You know, all these things are sugar that you're putting in your body. So it's it's about awareness. You don't have to make it overcomplicated. but it's important to know that that is one of the things that we know triggers aging and aging is associated with chronic illness. So it's important to keep those two um, connected. And if you want to focus on longevity, which is kind of the more optimistic way of looking at it is how do we actually extend that healthy part of our life, not just live longer, but live healthier longer. So that prime part of our life where we feel good and we're energetic and, and we're, we have this great cognitive ability, we can extend that. And those are the things that we say, okay, then you should really look at the sugar that you're consuming, not overdo that because you want to you wanna really widen that health span as much as possible. And then another one is protein. And protein is a huge discussion. Every single year, consumer reports come out. Number one concern of people is, am I getting enough protein? Mm -hmm. Again, in the US, we consume about 50 grams more protein per day than we need. And again, that's on average. So I'm not telling people stop consuming protein. Protein is a very important building block for your muscles, for your entire body to operate properly. But it's about finding that balance. We consume huge amounts of meat in the U.S. and we actually are consuming more protein than we should be. So it's again about finding that right balance. Um, I like to tell people we kind of have it backwards in the U.S. Um, We will have like a big slab of steak and then even think about when you're at a restaurant, you get this big slab of steak and you order, I want the steak. And then they say, what sides do you want? And they give you this little tiny side of broccoli and maybe mashed potatoes, right? And if you look at longevity regions of the world, it's the opposite. There might be no meat on the plate because a lot of them do live a mainly plant-based diet, um, but they will have the vegetables as their main portion of the meal and then a little bit of protein on the side. And a lot of that's probably with beans and other forms of protein, not even meat. Um, so, you know, I, Longo um, talks about a story in his book about one of the centenarian regions where he interviewed these women and he said, do you ever eat meat? And they started giggling and they said, well, we did crash a wedding once and we had meat. So literally to them, it was once in their life. Um, and it's because of the expense of it. It's not even so much that, that 
these regions per se understood the health benefits of it. It just was a delicacy for them. So they ate it in very small quantities. So I think for, for me, that's what's important is just to really understand the portions that we have in the US with these different foods that do trigger aging. Um, if we wanna focus on more promoting um, longevity, these are things that we try to balance out and not overindulge or overconsume. And I think in the US, it's just a lack of awareness mm -hmm. um, because people hear, I gotta have protein and they get concerned and then they go buy a protein powder that's like 100 grams of protein per tablespoon, um, which is probably a lot more than the average person needs. And, and it's important also as your different ages in your life, Again, it's, it doesn't have to be complicated, but you know, after you're above the age of 65, you do need more protein. So it's not a one size fits all. It's important that we understand that as well. Um, but again, that there's that awareness there that there are certain ingredients that um, do accelerate that and we should limit that. Um, yeah. Yeah, so let's just jump on the protein bit because I know it's, uh, I mean, sometimes I'm just like, come on, if one more person approaches me today and asks me if there's protein in our meals, because we have a restaurant as well. And so we have all of our um, plant-based whole food restaurants and people say, oh, there's not enough protein. And in fact, like when we do the nutritional um, profile on our food, we're like, no, there's actually more than enough within these yes. you know, meals. And knowing full well that a lot of our customers will go home and cook up a steak as well. Like they're going to put themselves over the top. And, um, but the thing it's very true. There is not just in the United States, I would say globally, there's nutritional illiteracy at a mass wide scale. I think this is the biggest epidemic because, and here's just an example. When I was speaking at an event in Kansas recently, not recently, cause we've been in COVID, but you know, just, you know, a few months ago and you know, one of the audience members, you know, came up to me and they said, well, I could just never survive on eating plant-based foods because, you know, I work out and, and I need to eat. And I said, well, you, there's not a single food you eat out there that doesn't have amino acids, which are the building blocks of the proteins in your body. And he's like, I don't believe it. And I was like, well, you have your phone on you right now, pull it out and search how much protein is in carrots. And he did. And he's like, oh my gosh, there's protein in carrots. And I was like, yes. And then he yeah. said, yeah, but greens, you know, you're asking me to eat too many greens. And I was like, well, there's protein in greens as well. And he looked it up and he's like, oh my God, and the, you know, people like, if you're listening to this, like don't take Jennifer's word for it. Don't take my word for it. Just yeah. pull out your phone and ask Google, Absolutely. how much protein Absolutely. is there in sprouts? How much protein is there in, you know, tomatoes and, you know, and, and it's true. We are definitely um, we have an epidemic of, of too much protein in our society, which is the basis of a lot of these chronic diseases. So th this is one of the important parts um, to pay attention to here. So let's go into the, I really want to talk more about the work that you're doing with um, uh, Walter Longo and his team and his company, as well as jumping into what your company, Nutrition for Longevity, is doing, which I love the name, by the way. And so how did you get involved with Dr. Walter Longo's work? Because behind so, you, which no one can see, by the way, <laughs> there's the book, The Longevity Diet, an amazing yes. book, which everybody yes. needs to read. But um, you were into this before the whole fasting craze started, Brendy. Yeah. So what I loved about um, the book, and people have heard about longevity regions um, and kind of the research, but what I loved about Dr. Longo is I had been introduced to the book and I just found it 
completely fascinating. I'm a, a little bit of a geeky science person. So in his book, you can just read the, the less sciencey stuff, but then he also has all the way down to his clinical trials. Um, so I just, I loved how his approach was to understand the cultures, the people, how they live their life first, and then to back it up with science. So he really worked hard to understand everything about the, the regions that he went into. And he spent, you know, three decades looking at that. And, and he, he grew up in one. So, I mean, he was fascinated from the beginning because he's like, how come my tiny little town has five people over a hundred? So to him, that was a normal thing. And then he moved to the U.S. and he's like, whoa, this is not very normal. Um, I was actually in this really special region and I want to learn more about it. And so he started just spending a lot of time in these regions digging into what is different. And he came out with, you know, I would say two main things. One is what is the feeding side of things? What should you be eating that people in these regions eat? And then the really fascinating side, which was the newer side to me, because I'd always been really into nutrition and eating healthy, but that was the fasting side. And that I hadn't had much experience with. And just seeing that the combination of the two, if you really work on those and find the right balance, are absolutely critical to longevity and not just living longer. Because most of my life I've said, I don't want to live that, that old because yeah. in the US you associate age with a lot of pain. And so, but when you meet, centenarians you see that they still have this incredible cognitive ability they're still very vibrant you know and that's what appeals to me i want that higher health span or that longer health span um, more than just per se living longer and so that's what i really fell in love with with his book and then i was introduced through um some through El Nutra actually and then to Longo and then we just had a great connection because we, we really had a similar mission of food as medicine and El Nutra does too and so we just said you know we should go in together and do this this company because we had greater greens we had the farm we grew our vegetables in the same regenerative ways that these longevity regions do so we knew the source of the food was pure and he really liked that and then I knew his science could really bring this incredible diet to the to the world um, and we could facilitate that with our food um, so I thought the fasting side was really fascinating and and the work that El Nutra is doing because they do the fasting side I do the feeding side um, and they're doing incredible research on metabolic syndrome so diabetes type 2 diabetes um, uh, obesity cancer incredible research on how fasting can again um, slow down these aging genes and even reverse some of the chronic illnesses. And so that was incredible research that I was really passionate because I came from that space more on how do we treat it, but it was a little bit more, in my opinion, like a band-aid, not really getting to the root. And I really feel like he's understood the root behind how we can resolve a lot of these things and really combat them because we are losing the battle with chronic illness. If you look, it's going up consistently despite all the science, despite all of the um, money in the healthcare industry. So I feel like this is really key to starting to reverse some of that. Um, and and finding out that fasting is not as frightening as people think. So I've tried to do a water fast once, just a one day water fast, and it was really hard. I mean, I have so much appreciation for people that do that and are successful with it because it was like really hard for me. And I have pretty, I'm a pretty stubborn person, so I can make it through a lot of things, but that was hard. And so 
what I thought was fascinating is his products make it more feasible for the average person to do it. So the, for a prolonged fast, which is when you get the really intense cellular regeneration, you need to make it past a three-day fast. And he's created fasting mimicking products that, uh, that still um, tell your body that you're essentially in a water fast, but you can do it with a certain amount of food. So you have less of the side effects of a water fast. And, and I, I myself do a prolonged fast every three months because um, I feel the difference in my body and I really believe in the science. Um, and then even something as simple as intermittent fasting, which you don't have to buy any products to do that. You can do it. It's, it's very simple. I mean, there's different types of intermittent fasting, but we advocate the circadian rhythm intermittent fast, which is a very simple intermittent fast anyone can do. And it just really helps your body get back into a rhythm, which the body is meant to have a circadian rhythm, <clears throat> which means it allows you to kind of have your cortisol increase throughout the day and then as you wind down your melatonin starts to come up and that allows you to have a much better sleep pattern there's a lot of even chronic illnesses they're starting to link to even the lack of this cycle in our body mm. so an intermittent fast allows you um, sorry a circadian rhythm intermittent fast allows you to go a full 12 hours to let your body move into the kind of that decompressed state and move into cellular re regeneration. So that's when we kind of recover. That's when our body detoxes. And in the U.S., we have so much, it, well, globally, I think nowadays, we have so much access to food 24-7. Um, and a lot of us eat really late. And so we don't allow our body to go into that full fasting state. And so what I love about the research of the longevity diet is it really goes into explaining what's happening in your body and why it's important to have these periodic um, fasting and, and that are a bit, a bit longer that you do maybe once a year or every quarter. Um, and then you have these daily cycles that you get your body into so you can have the best recovery because we, I mean, I think everyone kind of this day and age puts their body through kind of a beating with stress and eating unhealthy and not exercising and sitting all day. So I think it's really important that we allow our body to recover. Um, and if, yeah. So. so I want to jump into that because there's so many different um, areas that you jumped into. And I know for, you know, uh, people listen to Dr. Walter Longo and Rich Roll podcast. So then there was, you know, a huge resurgence um, back to fasting. Um, but then there's so many interpretations of it. And we had a lot of people who just jumped on the bandwagon. They were like, I'm going to go fast for a week or 10 days or 30 days yeah. or, you know, and without understanding truly that it doesn't have to be that intense. And so for the average listener who's out there who wants to experiment with fasting, I mean, the most fasting I do is that, you know, usually I, I don't eat after dinner. Um, and because I just never have been compelled to fortunately and usually I eat breakfast a little bit later so there's a natural fasting that happens there but that's me just yeah. doing my own thing so for the average person though who wants to better understand circadian fasting like what would a day in the life look like and then for people who actually wanted to try um, the longevity diet like El Nutra's fasting program and what would that look like and then what okay. would that look like coupled with the work you're doing at nutrition for longevity i'd love to you to spell it out for that okay wonderful um so i'll start with the prolonged fast so um in the longevity diet book um longo talks about what happens at a cellular level when you go past essentially three days of fasting and it essentially um 
it slows down the genes from aging. And part of that is because it essentially eliminates the sugar and the protein from the diet and it takes it down very low, which is why he can actually, he's created this product that you still can eat food. Um, so you're, you're having a lot less of the side effects of um, a, a prolonged fast. So it mimics to the body a complete water fast. So you get all of the cellular regeneration benefits of a water fast without, you know, feeling as intensive side effects. And so that's really, um, to me, one of the most important things. And that's, the, they actually created a product so people could do it in an easy way at home. Because, you know, it's, when we talk about fasting, it, that's, that can be pretty extreme to fast for five days to do a, a five day water fast. I think less than 1% of the population can make it through that kind of a fast. Mm -hmm. Whereas when you do it with food, you can just build it into your routine and it's not, um, it's not this really challenging thing that you can't overcome. So it was again, to create a product that could allow that prolonged fasting for the average human being. Um, and to still give you this low level of food that, again, you don't have as extreme headaches and things like that that sometimes are um, happening when you go into a fast. You might, some people may still have headaches and things like that because it's also serving a lot of other purposes. It's a sugar detox, it's a vegan diet. So you're not getting some of those other things that um, might you might be essentially addicted to. So you're also decompressing and coming off of that. So. And, and just to jump in about that as well, like the headaches and things like that, there's no caffeine on this as well. Is that no. correct? So, yeah, exactly. So that I mean, also can. has to be yeah. taken into account that, you know, we're in a society of like, everybody's got a Starbucks latte walking yeah. around everywhere and maybe three or four times a day. And the minute you cut out that caffeine, like you have these receptor sites in your brain that, you know, have been developed for the amount of caffeine you're consuming. All of a sudden you're not feeding those receptor sites with caffeine and all of a sudden your brain reacts and it's like, it is a drug withdrawal. So yeah. people need to understand that. So- mm -hmm. So just before we go further into what you were saying there, is there a p way that people should set them out, themselves up before like they go jump on the El Nutra website and let's say buy the five-day um, prolon fast? So, I mean, there's, of course you can, you can do that right away. I mean, there's, there's not a lot of, um, there's certain medical indications if you have that you shouldn't do it and that's on their website. Um, there's not a lot of prep you need to do. I would say um, the other things though that you can do either before or after um, is the intermittent fasting. And to your point, it doesn't have to be challenging. It's as simple as stop eating three to four hours before you go to bed. So you can really allow that decompression and your body shifts from digesting food completely to um, cellular regeneration. And, and again, you don't have to have that cortisol levels and you don't have to support these energy levels that you have, that you need to during the day. Um, so that it's as simple as that. And say you go to bed at 11 o'clock, that means, you know, around eight o'clock, I'm done eating. I, I stop eating. For me, it's even a little bit earlier than mm -hmm. that. And then I don't eat anything and then I go to bed and then I wake up in the morning and I eat around eight o'clock again. So it's that 12 hours. And that's pretty simple for a lot of people. It's not this extreme thing that's very frightening. And that's what we try to say. That's why we really advocate the, the simple fast for, for the intermittent fasting part of it, or, or as Longo explains in the book, time-restricted eating, 
you know, it's, it's a very simple thing that everybody can do. There's no real restrictions. You don't have to buy any products. It's something that you can just incorporate into your day and you shouldn't really see any negative effects of it. Um, it really should allow you to start getting a better sleep. There's a lot of studies now connected even to chronic illness and the benefits of that, weight management. Um, so there's a lot of health benefits to um, getting your body into that rhythm. So that's awesome. something that I say you could do anytime. You could start it today <laughs> yep. um, with your dinner tonight. Um, so I think it's just something that's really easy. And then the food side, obviously the part that I focus on is how do we also um, promote the longevity, you know, genes that are supporting cellular regeneration with food, the proper food, and taking out some of the food that actually accelerates the aging. So we want to kind of turn off the ones that accelerate the aging, and we want to ramp up the ones that support our cellular regeneration. And if you look at, um, you know, what we have now, the, the buzzword superfoods, a lot of that is focused around phytonutrients. And so if you look at the longevity regions, they eat a mainly plant-based diet. Um, if you look at the recommendations in the US of the amount of fruits and vegetables, only one in 10 people get the recommended servings of fruits and vegetables. So we're obsessed with protein, we're overdoing it with protein, and then less than 10% of our population is getting enough fruits and vegetables, which are linked to reduced instances of cancer, reduced instances of heart disease are two leading causes of death in the US. And we know that eating more fruits and vegetables is a significant factor in that. Um, so less than 10% get enough. And then if you look at longevity regions, they consume a lot more than even that recommended level. So they're getting closer to 10 servings of fruits and vegetables and they eat that throughout the day. So from the start with breakfast, eating some healthy fruits, some even some vegetables in their breakfast, eating mainly lunch like a salad. And even in some of these regions, they're really eating only two meals with, with a snack. So you know, I would consider for me, the salad I eat is a very hearty salad. It's large. I don't feel hungry afterwards, but I consider that a snack because it's a lower calorie level, has some beans and different sources of protein, but I do have then a bigger dinner that has a lot of my protein load in it. Um, and that's, that's how a lot of longevity regions eat. Um, it's again, getting as much of that fruits and vegetables as possible, especially on the vegetable side, um throughout the day and that's pretty heavy on the lunch and dinner portion um and especially again flipping that what is the side dish on this meal um to the protein should really be the side dish and and the core of the meal should be all these wonderful vegetables um so that's what we focus on and we focus on growing them in a similar regenerative way as the longevity regions do. So we make sure that they're really high in phytonutrients and that they're not bringing extra toxins into your body. I love that. And I love how you just compliment, um, you know, Dr. Walter Longo's work in his company, because I know there was a lot of criticism about the fact that, I mean, his food was all prepackaged and it was, I mean, your food technically is prepackaged. Our food, when we, you know, make it at our restaurants, we have to put it in a package, but yeah. it's <laughs> as fresh as can be. We just yeah. chopped it that day, cooked it that day, put it yeah. into the container. So I know that there was that, um, so I love that, that, that you've merged with El Nutra because I think that is, you know, it's brilliant. It's what people need. They actually need to see food yeah. that they can recognize, not just something that's already been made into a bar or a shake or whatever, you know, that yeah. comes with El Nutra. But El Nutra is fantastic 
a way to do a safe fast for five days that you can do in the comfort of your own home. A lot of people will go to True North. Um, True North is very rigid. It's very, I find, aggressive for a lot of people who don't know um, whether fasting is the right thing, even though there's physicians mm-hmm. that work with them. Um, but there are a lot of people who push it, just be like, I heard that a 30-day water fast is what I need. And so then they want to do that. Whereas, why don't you do this first yes. and then complement it afterwards by learning? And even at True North, I mean, I heard Dr. Clapper speak, who used to you know, work out of the clinic. And he even said, you know, it's not about the fasting that is the true, um, you know, um, promoter of health. It's about learning how to cook real foods once the fast is over. And this is where you come in. So this part is very cool. Let's talk about your company now um, more because I want to chat about the fact that your food comes from your farm. So how, I mean, we have a restaurant and we source from all the local farms, um, all organic farms. How are you doing both? How are you growing (laughs) the food, doing the farming, making the food and doing the delivery and distribution? Because I think that is just mind blowing. It's like rocket science to me. So how are you doing that? Um, So, I mean, that was one of the things that was really important to me is, um, and, and again, what I loved about Dr. Longo is he, he's a passionate believer. We got to make this easy for people. So he, and that's what he's tried to do with the fasting products and now the the feeding products. And it's really, you know, we do try to keep it as simple as possible. There's a lot of formulations we have in the background with macronutrients, micronutrients, all that good stuff. Um, But what we really want to do is allow people to eat a really balanced meal. And it is about that education piece because we see the same thing. Um, people tell us after they eat the food, like you've kind of retrained me on how to eat. Like I've kind of lost track and now you've retrained me how I should be eating. So even when I'm not buying your meals, I can be cooking like this at home and kind of, it kind of resets them, which I think is really important. Um, so the farming piece, so the farming, that was probably my first passion. I grew up on a homestead in Alaska, so I've always been really passionate about growing my own food, even at a very large scale. Like when I say I have a garden, it's like always been like a quarter acre or a half acre, which is a bigger than most people's That's garden. huge. Yeah, we have one <laughs> acre and yeah. only a quarter of it is, not even a quarter of it is farmed and that's too much yeah. food for our family. Yeah, yeah so, so that's a was, lot. Yeah, so it was always a lot for our community. Um, and we just thought, you know, can we keep expanding this and create a food model that can be replicated at other farms? And that's our, that is our model is to have region for region um, operations that can support their communities. And so um, my supply chain background allowed me to kind of take a look back or take a step back in farming and say, okay, there's all this incredible stuff we're doing with the soil and all these regenerative farming practices and hedgerows and pollinator habitat and all these things, you know, laying out the farm. But from a supply chain view, how do we kind of modularize this that it can be replicated somewhere? So it's not just one tiny farm, but that we can we can spread this across the globe. Um, and then how do we create an end-to-end supply chain that we can really own and control? Because also coming from supply chain, there's a lot of challenges with, um, food insecurities and not having access to especially the, the special crops that we grow because we grow a lot of crops from the longevity regions that you can't just go to the grocery store and buy mm-hmm. so we said okay how do we have continuity of supply and how do we make sure it's grown in the way we want it grown so you know if 
I think if you know how your local farms are growing their food, that's awesome. Like it, it, that's incredible. But I think a lot of times when it we have large volume, you are sourcing that. You don't really know if someone cut corners yeah. or they did this or they did that. And so for us, we really wanted to be able to make sure that it was done properly. Like we're very big on, you know, can we really create that authentic, that really um, true way of doing things and, and then replicate it. So that was what was important for us. It's not easy because we also have a very biodiverse farm. We grow hundreds of varieties on it because we also believe that's important for the soil and the biodiversity and, and also the human palate. Um, we have a very muted palate in the U.S., whereas if you go to the longevity regions, it's these vibrant, like beautiful, like when people see our food on our Instagram posts and things like that, they're like, oh my gosh, it's so beautiful, but that's how we should be eating. That's all these phytonutrients are, are essentially pigments that are in these different fruits and vegetables. So we wanted to be able to get that to people, to grow the right varieties, to grow incredible um, nutrient-rich food, and then to take all the work out of the, ma the macros, out of the way for people, because finding that balance of the protein and the sugar, and the carbohydrates, you know, if you look at longevity regions, they, in the US, we're so anti-carb, like carbs are really bad for us. And in all these regions, they have a lot of carbohydrates, but it's all coming from really good whole foods, fruits and vegetables. Um, so their bodies are not, they're not processing like that asparagus or that incredible kale in the same way they would be like a piece of white bread, you know, so yeah. carbs are not the same, <laughs> just like everything else. There's good ones and not so good ones. Um, so we like to take a lot of that work away and just give people a very clear, um, we give them the information if they want to know, like here's the macronutrients that are in this food, um, but trying to just get them retrained on what that volume should look like. Like people are surprised, our lunches are very hearty, it's a lot of food. Yeah. And they're like, wow, I didn't think just having like a big salad would be that fulfilling to me for my lunch and just eating plant-based for dinner with let's say chickpeas as the protein that that would be filling enough for me and then they realize it is and then mm -hmm. I, I can't believe how many people have kind of have never had a lot of beans in their diet and suddenly they realize every longevity region it's a staple every day in their yeah. food and they're like wow I kind of like beans and I didn't realize I could get so much protein from them so um, for me it's it's that just end-to-end how do we grow it properly and then how do we reduce food waste because we literally order our produce from our farm after we confirm orders 24 hours before so they literally the day before they get confirmation so we have very little food waste um, and we even do some really unique stuff like carrot tops we do a carrot top pesto so we try not to waste anything um, awesome. yeah so there's some really fun things we do even so we minimize and then if we do have any waste of vegetables it goes right back into our compost so we have this really yeah. tight cycle that nothing's really being wasted it's all either going back into the land or um, we're using it in our kits so there's very low waste so that was for me what was really important is that um, we could use the regenerative farming also for environmental reasons because there's incredible carbon sequestration like that's a whole nother topic of all the benefits of that mm -hmm. farming and then bringing it to people in a very convenient easy way so they could eat healthy without having to stress about it 
and then reducing as much food waste as we possibly could. We, we waste more than 35% of our food in the U.S. Mm-hmm. and 80% of our farmland is focused on, on growing meat. <laughs> so, you know, if we focused a little bit more on vegetable production and a little bit less food waste, we could really feed the world um, without major modifications in any sort of negative way. So. Yeah, I love that you brought that up too, because I've had a lot of people who have said to me that, you know, well, COVID's a good thing because, you know, it's taking care of the overpopulation. You know, there's too many people. We can't feed this many people. And it's, you know, I've been being in, you know, I started off in, um, uh, you know, sustainable economic development. And these are the conversations we're having, you know, decades ago and people are still having, and the myth still gets perpetuated. And what people don't understand is that number one is we have enough land to feed the seven plus billion people more More. than enough. And we're just not using the land appropriately because we grow all of this grain to feed the cattle and the sheep and the pigs. And then from that, you only produce a small amount of meat, which is expensive. But not only that, we're not also able to get the food to the people who need it. So when we're talking about starving people in the world, I mean, we're talking about there's no road access, there's no port access, there's no ability to take the abundance that we're growing in North America and in Europe and actually get it to the people, right? Without actually like air dropping it down over villages and things like that. So, you know, and you know, this isn't even talking about how we've raped and pillaged the lands in India and Africa and made their soil, you know, you know, really depleted and unable to grow a lot of food. But, you know, so people need to understand, like, if you're out there perpetuating this myth that we, you know, that we can't feed people, that is so not true. Like, just, I mean, go to Jennifer's farm, come to our farm, and you'll see that we, like, we have trouble giving away food even because we grow so much of it. And so it's a different conversation we really need to start having. So I have some questions about your farm. Okay. Which I'm sure for, how big is this farm and how many people are you feeding off of it? Um, so we, our farm is, um, 40 acres. So it's, I consider our, far, all of our farms, cause we actually are expanding to, a, um, a farm in Texas right now. So we're, um, we're expanding to different farms across the U S. Um, but it's 40 acres. We focus on what we call micro farms. So we actually want to keep it in a contained, um, probably always under a hundred acres because of our farming, um, the way we've kind of created this system. And that allows us, um, our farm with 40 acres produces about 6 million pounds of produce a year. So it's still a very high output farm. And people say, well, how do you do that? You're stripping the soil. Um, With doing that, we've been able to add about 2% soil organic matter, like more than 1% a year, which is really good. Um, Our our soil in the U.S. is also extremely depleted. So it used to be at about 11%. Now soil organic matter is at about 1%. And if people don't know what soil organic matter is, it's basically soil should be like a sponge and it should have structure to it. And when you take all that away, you you end up with essentially dirt. And there's not Mm -hmm. really this matrix for organisms to thrive on. And so like our farm, every 1% we um, build of our soil organic matter we can save 170,000 gallons of water per acre. Wow. Um, we can sequester, we, our farm we um, estimate is sequestering about over 10,000 tons of carbon per year. Um, wow. And that's through adding this soil organic matter, which we've lost two thirds of our carbon stores in the US. Um, 
and or, well, actually across the globe. Mm -hmm. um, so it's a big sponge and we can pull and sequester a lot of carbon into that soil. So that's a big focus of ours. And then um, the way we grow our crops is we keep the ground covered pretty much year round as much as possible. So that allows us to um, hold in more moisture that allows us to build up the soil organic matter, protect the soil from UV light and all the things, even just us as humans, we protect ourselves. Soil needs a lot of protection as well. Um, so we do a lot of intercropping and that's how we get a lot of yield. So like a conventional farm might grow garlic um, and grow two rows of garlic. In that row, we would probably do about seven rotations of lettuce or radishes or carrots and things like that where we can rotate out. So we do a lot of companion um, planting and intercropping. So it's a bit more labor intensive than if I just took a tractor. We mm -hmm. also do no-till um, farming so we don't till once we build a bed we do um, bed rows. Once we build a bed we don't really mess with that and we just keep building on top. So, so let's explain what that is for people who don't understand, because um, I had so much flack from the agricultural industry years ago, but when I first discovered this concept of no-till farming, and I said, well, you know, this is something that we can do, here's the science, you'll actually be able to add soil back, everything you just said. So, you know, and I was young, I was like in my early 20s, so who the hell am I to go to the, you know talk to the agricultural associations in Canada and say that we should be considering no-till farming and that there's these other options. And, you know, I presented the other options, but I mean, it does require a different farming practice. They already have the tillers. They already have a lot of money invested in their equipment. So right away, they're like, screw you lady, get the hell off our land and go be a hippie somewhere else. Like I know, and I think one of them actually told me that. So that's where, um, you know, and I'm like, no, this is not about being a hippie. This is not about, you know, it's truly about protecting the planet. You know, this is everything you mentioned about carbon sequestration, everything you mentioned about building up the microbiome, everything about conserving water. Like this is a complete systems perspective. And I believe like, you know, Donnell Meadows, if anybody out there has ever read about um, systems change and systems thinking, like she is, she has incredible literature out there, but there's a leverage point in every system. And when you press that leverage point, that's when the entire system changes, either for the good or for the not so good. And yeah. what I see as being a massive leverage point is it's anything to do with food. It's to do with farming, especially like farmers are superheroes. So let's explain to, you know, because this applies not just to the big farms. People are probably listening to this been like, why am I listening to this podcast? 40 acres? I'll never have 40 acres. But you could do this even within your potted plants on your patio. You totally. can do this if you even have like two meters, a two meter garden bed, you know, two by two. So explain what this no-till concept and what that means to just keep adding, but not disrupt it. Cause it's okay. important for people to know this. Yeah. So, um, so when a plant uh, sends down roots into the soil, it starts creating this incredible environment, this, this mini ecosystem in the soil. And we call that the rhizosphere microbiome. And it, it has this incredible nutrient exchange that is done through um, fun, f fungus that creates um, a matrix essentially that, that plants can communicate and that this microbiome can thrive on. So you have this matrix that's created and you have these organisms that start to really thrive and they have a nutrient exchange. And essentially that is, is created with a carbon cycle. So they can pull carbon back into the soil 
and in exchange you pull great nutrients out of the soil into the plant and, and that feeds the plant. So what we like to do is leave that completely intact whenever possible. So if we have a carrot, the carrot's going to get pulled and you do disrupt that. Um, but if I have a tomato plant um, that's been growing for say seven, eight months in the soil, I just chop that plant at the base of the plant um, and I compost the top part, but I leave that root mass completely intact under the soil. And that allows that microbiome to continue to thrive. And as new plants come down, um, they can leverage what's already there. And that allows us to build that soil organic matter. And then what we do on top of that is we add compost and um, different things that also build up the organic matter. So we're kind of layering on top. So we, we have this root mass building up soil stru structure and then we have this compost on top to bring in more nutrients back into the soil. And then the really important part that I think even a lot of home gardeners make the mistake is they, they see on shows and different things, these meticulous gardens that are, that are completely tilled and bare, and then they want these perfect little rows and then you have dirt in between, which is actually um, the exact opposite of what you should do. <laughs> so if you look at almost any place in nature, um, Mother Nature keeps the ground covered, and that's because soil is very sensitive. It, mm -hmm. it gets eroded um, if, if it has heavy winds or water. UV can damage the soil and the microbiome in the soil. So um, that's why you get a lot of weeds. And so there's a lot of ways that you can garden at home with just like I mentioned, a very simple one that a lot of people don't think about is radishes. They are like a 30-day crop, so they're super fast. So you can drop in radishes and seed those in first in your garden and, you know, those can bush up and then you can drop in tomato plants or, um, like I said, onions or garlic are really slow crops, so they take almost a year. Mm. And so I like to always make sure there's lots of stuff around them. So they're growing underground, a nice bulb for me to harvest in fall. But that whole spring and summer, I have other stuff around it and they're actually protecting the garlic. I don't, we have incredible, gorgeous, like we'll grow like a rojo garlic and it'll look like an elephant garlic. It's huge, it's super healthy. Um, but that's because we're protecting that soil microbiome and building it up. So those are just a few of the practice. Composting is a key part of it, mm. leaving the root mass in the ground. Um, and then as much as possible, keeping that ground covered. Those are those are three of our biggest ones that anyone could do at, at home. There's other stuff that we do on the farm with hedgerows and building pollinator habitats, but you can even do that at home. A lot of people don't realize how important po uh, perennial plants are, especially native ones. Um, you know, I tell people we've lost 80% of our insect biomass over the last 30 years, which is actually frightening if you think about the, the cycle of life um, in our world. Um, and that's partly from habitat loss. So I always put um, perennial flowers and different um, crops, even in my home garden, because even though I have a farm, I still love my home garden. Um, and so I'll put these crops around and those stay in the ground forever. And some of them will send, you know, root masses down foot, you know, several feet deep. And they're just building up that soil and they're allowing it to thrive. So very simple things that you can do in your garden. Um, and just really important to help it thrive and keep that soil protected.
Yeah, I love that. Thanks for explaining that because it's, you know, we, we do, we look at the magazines and we say, oh, there's no weeds in there. And, you know, it's, I think it's much better to actually even leave the weeds until you plant something in there because at Absolutely. least the leaves of the weeds are protecting the soil from everything that you mentioned. They're going to help draw the water in. They're going to help do all of that. And so yeah. you don't have to necessarily pull the weeds in. Um, and I love the concept because my mom used to always be like, let's go weed the garden. And I hated it. Like I was like, I don't want to do that. There's nothing fun about that, but you literally can walk up to your garden and, you know, if you want to plant something, just, you know, make the hole, stick it in there and, you know, only pull out what you really need to. Like if the weeds are truly, truly invasive, Yeah. but for the most part, I mean, you can leave that in there and it just becomes food for the soil. And um, I know a lot of people will put hay on their um, to protect their soil as well. But yeah. I mean, what's your opinion on that? Because I kind of like the idea of using living matter yeah. to replenish the soil as opposed to having to go out and buy hay and stick that on. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, I, I've had, well, I guess one thing, just because you, you mentioned the weed thing, because I, I, I took a lot of classes also in herbal medicine, just because I was curious about it. And you look at weeds in a whole nother way, because you realize, you know, even in the longevity regions, people really cherish like um, dandelions. Yeah. It's like everyone hates dandelions. They rip them out of the garden. It's one of the most nurturing foods you could ever grow. <laughs> so we actually grow a very special Italian dandelion on our farm intentionally, but it's the easiest crop for us to grow because it just thrives and it's this beautiful red veined um, dandelion. But even like, you know, bitters is something that they make out of the roots which is really good for your digestive system the the leaves themselves are incredibly healthy um you know we talk about things that are void in the american diet so bitter foods we've completely lost our palate for bitter foods but they're one of the healthiest foods for our body so that's one thing i would tell people if you have dandelions come up in your garden leave them there and actually like harvest them and put them in your salad they're a bit yeah. bitter but they're really healthy for you and they feed your gut microbiome so that's one thing the second is definitely growing live plants. You get a dual benefit for it. It's building up that soil microbiome because the soil microbiome, you know, everyone's worried that I'm going to deplete too much from it. But if you feed it properly with biodiversity and you're not adding a ton of chemicals that are damaging that microbiome, you're actually benefiting the soil. And so, like I said, very quick crops like certain lettuces, uh, radishes, things like that you get that same benefit and you get more food out of it. So um, you get this great food, you bring biodiversity into your, your body and you also bring it into your garden and you help your microbiome thrive in the soil. So um, yeah, so I think living is always better. And again, if you look at a forest or, or any places in mother nature, even if you do have, you scrape away all the plants, within a few weeks, there will be weeds popping up as long as you don't use chemicals. Yeah. There's a reason for that. So adding those extra crops as living things that you can consume is not a bad thing. Yeah, no, that's brilliant. The other aspect of that too, that um, I love, and it's, I love that you brought up dandelions because I sit outside my house and I just, you know, I love watching the dandelions come up and change and we do not cut them. Like my daughter, she's 12 and she likes to take out the riding mower and cut the grass. But when there's dandelions up, we do not cut the grass because we need to, those are the first um, that's the first bit of fuel that comes up for the bees and yeah. for all the other insects. And so it's the, and they need all of the nutrients from the dandelions to be able to then kickstart their own cycle. 
um, for the year. And so we just don't catch up. So it's just, I love that you brought that up. And I know other people, our neighbors are probably like, what the hell? Like, <laughs> mow your lawn lady. But we're like, absolutely not into those dandelions, you know, go to seed yeah. and then we'll, then we're good. But the other part too, about the dandelion and for people who just, you know, go out there and get a book on you know plant medicine because what you'll realize like you said is all those weeds out there every single one of them has some type of benefit to our health and dandelions especially they're an amazing cancer fighter they're an amazing you know microbiome builder just like jennifer said and you know why would you pull out your dandelions and then go to the supplement store and buy the exact same thing in supplement form which, yeah. you know, you don't even know what's in it and all the other fillers that are in there. It's literally underneath your feet. And we have about what, something like, I think 250 species of edible plants that are out there that we're like literally just mowing it down. And yep. so many benefits to just understanding what's right underneath your toes. Um, I love that. So let's talk about how your company works then. So you're growing the food and then now you are, where do you make it? Like, does it go to a plant a factory or yeah. is that on the farm or how does that transportation piece work yeah so we have um within 10 minutes of the farm we have a warehouse operation that's a food you know prep facility so we'll harvest everything um usually the night before and then we have a night crew that'll start prepping it and then we ship it out the next day wow. so it's a really tight cycle so it's very close by we have a small um you know delivery truck that we internally <clears throat> deliver the produce so again we order it the night before it, uh sorry we order it the day before it gets harvested we prep it and it goes out the door the next day so it's um amazing it's very close and that's how we've designed our whole model is that it's very close to the source of the food and so it's as fresh as possible um because we do like it, it's like your restaurant i'm sure you guys really make sure the tomatoes that you select are really juicy and, and they're picked right. Whereas a lot of our produce we're buying in our conventional um, food chains is pick, picked prematurely. It's usually like tomatoes are picked green and then they're gassed at their location um, once they're transported. And that's, that's to feed large volumes and do heavy transportation. Um, so most of our food is designed around logistics. And so we tried to change that. We tried to design the logistics around the food. Um, and then we could pick it at its ripest and we could not have to transport it very far. So that's like kind of the core of our model is how can we get it prepped as fresh as possible and get it to a consumer as quickly as possible. Um, so it's close by, it's not on the farm. Yeah. That's amazing. And then what I see from your website is you can ship anywhere in the continental U.S.? Yes. So, and how does that work? Like it, you know, your food's not frozen. Yeah, our food fresh. is fresh. So, mm -hmm. I mean, it's it's because of the kind of the quick um, speed that we have. So, it's literally like in New Jersey, New York, these areas. Like, it's being delivered to a hub, and then next morning, it's going out um, to California. I mean, our priority right now is um, to get up a farm in Texas and then in California. So we have these mm -hmm. other farms going up, um, but we can still get it to California within that 48 hour time frame. So it's still a fast, um, we wanna get food to them while it's still at their prime. And then they have you know, a duration of time that they still have that they can consume that. 
Um, we are moving towards um, ready-made as well. So that'll allow people to have a little bit more time to consume their food because they could pop it in the freezer. Mm -hmm. With our stuff, it's very fresh. So they, they for the lunches, <clears throat> it's a fresh lunch salad. And then for the dinners, they have to cook it. Um, so we are trying to make it even easier for people with a busy lifestyle to, you know, have things that are, that are ready to go um, so that there's, there's no reason that they can't eat um, a healthy way and a healthy lifestyle. Yeah, that's incredible. And that's, you know, it's what we absolutely need. And our company was on a show called Dragon's Den, which is in Canada, but Shark's Tank in the US is a similar show. And I remember that it was, um, we have Boston Pizza in Canada, which you think, I think it's BP or something in, yeah. I don't know what yeah. they call it in the States, but there's a the equivalent of Boston Pizza in the States. And so Joe, um, Jim Trevlevin was saying, you know, you can't have a satellite store and you know where you service like 10 or 15 different green mustaches and then you have multiple satellite like you know farms in all these different and i was like well no but we have to because our food's fresh and he yeah. just couldn't wrap his head around that he's yeah, like yeah. no you need to grow in one place make in one place and then ship every and i was like no like literally this can be done and it is the way of the future and i just Absolutely. love that you are actually living my dream <laughs> which is incredible. And we do have green mustaches coming to New York actually in 2021. So we're going to be need to source, source from local farms like cool. yours as well. So that's going to be um, very exciting. And even to sell your food there too, which is great because I know how labor intensive it is making these meals. Like yeah. you have to wash the food, then you have to chop the food and then yeah. you have to make the dressings and then you have to make the dips. Like it is so much work. <laughs> right? It's not just open up a jar and pour it on. Like it's, there's none of that going on. So what is the, so the next stage for you is to get the farm going in Texas and then one going in California. And then what do you see? What's the big, big vision for nutrition for longevity? Or are you living your big vision? Yeah. I mean, we're, we're starting already to live the big vision. I think um, <clears throat> one of the key things is to expand um, and to bring this food model to other locations. Um, and then really just solidifying the food as medicine message. So working with Dr. Walter Longo, he has an incredible pipeline of um, fasting products that uh, he's working on and launching onto the market. And then we wanna follow suit with, you know, nutritionally tailored food that supports um, more of an intervention standpoint. So. Um, right now, we focus a lot on food that's really good for people that already want to eat healthy and they're a little bit aware of that and they want to prevent illness. Um, but we'll be working more on areas where we can really start to have an impact on chronic illness directly. So that's kind of the next step that's always been part of the, the mission and the vision of food as medicine. Um, and so that's kind of where we're going to really be paving the way and, and hopefully creating a lot of impact. Wow, this is amazing. I'm so excited for, um, you know, just to know that you exist on the planet because we need more. I mean, you and I, we're two out of many that are doing it, but many is not enough. And we need, um, you know, hundreds of more and thousands of more individuals that are really looking at the land that's underneath their feet and figuring out how to regenerate the soil, how to grow the food, how then to distribute the food, because food security is a huge issue all around mm -hmm. the planet. And it's actually getting to be a 
like one of the biggest issues in Canada and the United States where farmers can't sell their land anymore because they can't grow. They don't know with their conventional growing techniques and methods that they've been trained and they no longer can grow food on their farm. But someone like you or, you know, the couple from The Biggest Little Farm or Dr. Zach Bush or Dr. Walter Longo, they can come in and grow food on that same land that the conventional farmer can't get, you know, they can't even get weeds growing on that land anymore, you know? And so this is something that is like of utmost importance. So before we wrap up here, I mean, this is, I could chat with you forever. And especially (laughs) I have to just, I just have to be honest here that I'm going to make my husband listen to this because he and I, he's the one who loves being with his fingers in the soil and I love my fingers on the keyboard. So, you know, we, but I love being in the garden and looking at it. He loves working it. We both have, you know, our, our skill sets. But the problem is, is that he's just like, you know, he's still working on the way he saw his grandparents farming. And so he did exactly what you said not to do, you know, ripped out all the old plants and then left the soil bare waiting for the sun to come out. And I was like, no, you need to cover it. And he's like, no, we don't. It's fine. And so my husband is going to be listening to this podcast um, tonight, in fact, before it even airs for the rest of the world. Um, but what is, I guess, what, what are the biggest lessons that you've already shared so many, but what are the biggest lessons that you would love, you know, the, our listener to understand and then also to implement? Like, what are those things that they yeah. can do starting today? Yeah. So I think one thing is to start looking at your body as this, this holobiome concept that you're not just feeding what you immediately desire, but you're feeding this, this whole system um, that is really like working together to make, to keep you healthy. Um, so to think of it as a, as this system that you want to keep running and keep it really healthy. Um, I think the second is there are some very simple things um, that people can adapt from the longevity regions and bring home to them. Um, one of them, as I mentioned, is the circadian rhythm fast. It's a very simple thing to implement. And like I said, as simple as going to bed at 11 o'clock, which means you stop eating at around 7.30, 8 o'clock, and then starting to eat again at around that 7.30, 8 o'clock again. So very simple. Anyone should be able to do that. Um, and it may be hard the first like week or so if you're a snacker at night to get used to that, but you can just slowly start pulling that back to an earlier, earlier time. So eat my snack earlier, eat my snack earlier. Okay, eliminate the snack. And um, I really encourage people to do that. I think they'll notice the difference within like a week or two that their body really starts getting into a cycle. Because so many Americans uh, or people across the globe have issues with sleeping. Mm -hmm. So that alone really helps your sleeping patterns. And so you will start noticing that difference. A lot of people also because their body's more efficient because you're allowing it to do what it needs to do at night to recover and detox and regenerate they feel more energy they're fe- they a lot of people start to lose weight especially around their belly which is usually the um, the least healthy fat that you want in your body mm-hmm. um so that's something i i highly encourage because it is such a simple thing to implement and it doesn't require any additional money you know they can't say well i can't afford it or i can't do this it's just really something anyone can do um, so that's one that's really important. Um, I do encourage people to explore also the prolonged fasting um, in the longevity diet um, because of the regenerative capabilities of it. I personally do it every three months and I'm a pretty healthy individual, but I just believe in what it does. Mm-hmm. And, you know, like I said, I don't necessarily want to just live longer. I want to have that 
peak part of my life extended to where I can contribute more and, and have that great cognitive ability longer. Um, so I think that is just a good thing. And then just being aware, like I tell people, just add some color diversity into your palate. It's a really good way that you can get more phytonutrients, which then on the feeding side um, can help keep you healthy and, and help trigger the right genes as well. Um, so bringing like, you know, people say eat the rainbow. I really do encourage people to get more color onto their, their plate um, because it's bringing in these different nutrients that your body actually needs. Um, and then, you know, just starting to explore eating a more plant-based diet. There's so many things that we can do for our own health, but also for the environment if we just started reducing our meat. Like we don't, we try not to use too many labels like vegan, mm. um, vegetarian, because so many people get nervous about that. We just say, you know, focus on reducitarian. Like just if you're eating meat every single day, try to cut out one day a week and see if you can do that and try to eat. I mean, you'd be surprised how incredible uh, plant-based food can taste if you cook it mm. properly. So just to start gaining some awareness about that and just paying attention to how much of that protein you're consuming and is it really necessary or could you actually be benefiting more from a little bit more plants into your diet? Um, so those are just a few things I think everyone could incorporate that have broad benefits both to the environment and human health um, that I would encourage people to explore. Those are brilliant, brilliant tips because they're all very accessible and, you know, you can start implementing that tomorrow. And if there's a food out there that you don't know, you know, what it is or what to do with it. And I mean, I'm talking about, I get questions like, is it okay to eat that many vegetables or is it okay to eat a tomato with the skin on? Or is it, you know, people really have lost the relationship to that rainbow of foods that exists out there and they look at it like it's scary unless it's been processed in a factory, it's been refined, and then it's been remade into something else and put in a package in a box that has, you know, a label of a, you know, human enjoying this like thing that we don't even know what the ingredients are. So we yeah. have completely like flipped over to the other side. And now we just need to come back. And yeah. once we do, we are going to see the world change in so many remarkable ways, especially when it comes to, you know, mental health, you know, of individuals, which will then you know, restore our societies because when people can think clearly and they don't have that brain fog and they don't have like, they're not in chronic pain from poor gut health, then I mean, they're going to, I, I, I like to say it's going to be a renaissance period all over again where people are artists again and creators and writers and, you know, they're inventors and, and all for, and really inventing for good as opposed to strictly just for like pure survival, like let's just get through this day. So it's going to be quite remarkable. So before we wrap up, can you tell me a little bit about your nonprofit, United for Longevity? Yes. I love yes. the name. Yeah, so um, we launched a, a nonprofit this year to support, um, you know, areas that we are challenged that food can be a solution. So right now we're donating meals to um, frontline workers to, that are fighting COVID-19. Um, and we believe that food is such an important part of that. And especially people that are under stress. Um, I know a lot of nurses personally and doctors that are in the New York, New Jersey area, especially have been fighting this for months now. 
um, and it's really wearing them out and they're, mm. they're fatigued and they're stressed. And so food, I believe, is truly medicine to help individuals. So we've been um, donating you know, thousands of snacks and meals to the frontline workers, uh, mainly in New Jersey and New York right now. Um, but it's something that we're expanding. Um, so that's what United for Longevity is. Right now it's focused on COVID-19, but we will continue to work on areas of food insecurity. So that's another thing, you know, when people um, focus on, well, we, you know, um, do we really have food insecurity issues in the U.S.? And we absolutely do. And if you look at the chronic illness from a from an area of food insecurity, it's much higher in areas where people don't have as much access to clean, healthy food. So um, we're also using that nonprofit to combat those areas and again, attack chronic illness from a different perspective. Um, so that's our United for Longevity with the number four. Um, and we're really excited to get that up and running and we're doing some also exciting collaboration with Dr. Longos. Um, he also has a nonprofit called Creating Cures which is all about creating cures for different illnesses across the world with food and fasting. And so um, we're also doing some work with them. That's uh, really exciting. And, and people that follow us on our social media um, will be able to see some of the exciting stuff we have coming. That is like, it is all so incredible. And it's exactly what the, the world needs right now more than ever. And I know everybody who's listening to this can relate so deeply with everything that Jennifer has been saying, because there's not a single human out there that hasn't been touched by a chronic disease um, over, you know, the last, you know, couple years to the really the last like 40 50 years when we saw a lot of pesticides come into um, existence and we've seen our food systems completely break down and we've seen the chronic disease rates rise and everyone out there listening I know you've you've lost somebody to cancer to heart disease to type 2 diabetes you know to a mental health illness an autoimmune disorder and it doesn't have to be that way like we really can change this around and change it around really, really quickly. And it really starts by looking at the food that you're purchasing in the store and looking how you're treating that soil beneath your feet. So I want to thank you, Jennifer, for sharing this incredible wisdom with all of us and uh, to our listeners. It's been a real pleasure having you on the show. Thank you. Oh, I should end with how should people get in touch with you? Where should they find you and participate, donate, help, okay. purchase? So um, you can go on our website, Nutrition for Longevity, spelled out the full name, .com. Um, and there we have um, a lot of information about the farm and the meal kits and um, some of our other products. Um, and you could also go on unitedforlongevity.com, that one was with the number four, um, to see a little bit about the nonprofit if you want to donate. Um, so both of those are accessible. We're also on social media. We're very active on Instagram and Facebook. Um, so you can also nutrition for longevity, find us there. Um, and we do a lot of recipes. We do a lot of education through those programs as well. We give updates and different promotions we're running. Um, so if you're interested, um, and also on our website, you can leave an email if you want to be on our newsletter where we give information about all the things that we're um, doing and, and a lot of different doctors tips from doctors in our network and things like that. So a lot of different places that you can find us. Um, probably the website's kind of the where we have the repository of as much most of the information, but also social media. We're very active. Um, so a lot of good content in there as well. 
Amazing. Amazing. Thank you for the work that you do in this world. You are a beautiful human and I look forward to having you on the show again to chat more about everything that you're doing. Okay. Okay. Thanks, Jennifer. Bye. So how did you enjoy that show? I love the work that Jennifer is doing. I have such utmost respect for her and her company and all the people who are working there to bring nutrition to the world, especially for going above and beyond and donating meals to all of the communities and individuals that are battling um, food insecurity because food insecurity is a massive issue. So I really hope that you got that out of this message. So if you are in the continental US, please um, connect with Jennifer and her company at Nutrition for Longevity, order meals, really savor the meals and you know give that gratitude right back message them and let them know how you enjoyed the meals because it takes a lot of work to create these meals so it's always good to reciprocate the love that they gave you through all the growing of the food the science behind the meals um, making the meals and delivering them to you so share this podcast with others as i mentioned and as i mentioned in the beginning of the show if you have a chronic disease that you're battling with do give me a call because i am once again booking one-on-one consult something that i haven't done in years as i've moved into more working with bigger groups and corporate groups but i am coming back to that especially during COVID times where people need that one-on-one connection i am here to support you so i hope to book a session with you Also, check out our website to learn about upcoming retreats. Right now, we've had to cancel everything, but we will be rescheduling again once we know what's happening with the opening up of the world um, during this COVID pandemic. And so learn about the retreats because it's always fun to gather in groups and to learn together because I teach you again the art and science of using food as medicine so you can successfully reverse your chronic degenerative disease. So it's been a pleasure being with you. Enjoy the sun that is coming out across the planet. If you are in North America and Europe, um, if you're anywhere else in the world and you are moving into winter, um, I hope that you stay healthy and warm during these times. Really honor and respect all of the protocols that are being set out there by government so that you know if we're changing seasons, We don't know what's going to happen with the COVID virus during those changes of seasons as well. So you just want to, you know, really have your ear to the ground, really look at the research and science that's coming out, not just the corrupt news in certain parts of the world, but you really want to look at um, the information in a very, very um, diligent way so that you're making wise decisions um, in your communities, in your homes, with your family, so that we can continue to flatten this curve across the globe. Okay, everyone, thanks for being here for this podcast, and we'll see you next week for another show on the Eat Real to Heal podcast. Bye. 